It's easy. All you need is love. Love, love. Love is all you need. So some of you, maybe only a few of you recognize that as the Beatles. All right. So that's John Lennon says it's easy. It's easy. All we need is, is relationships to make, to make life work. All we need, all we need is love. Love, love, love is all we need. That's as close to singing as, as you'll get me to, uh, to do from up here. Okay. So it's all you need. Except love's not that easy. Love is not that easy. Paul has been speaking in the book of 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth, and he has been teaching them about love, and love looks like giving up your rights for your brothers and sisters in Christ. He looks like giving up your freedoms, giving up your rights for the sake of the gospel, except, except love is not easy. Why, why isn't it easy? What is it that keeps it from being easy? Paul's answer is self-control. Self-control makes it, makes it hard to love, or a lack of self-control makes it hard to love. This is the, really the pattern of the Christian life, of how we live the Christian life. What, when we think about how we are moving toward obedience, how are we learning to obey God's commands, we have that positive part of God's commands, that is, love your brothers and sisters, give up your rights for the sake of the gospel. That's the, that's the positive part of God's commands. But the flip side is, what is it that's keeping us? This is the pattern of the Christian life of, of putting off old habits, putting off old ways that are associated with our old life and even uh, associated with life in Adam, and putting on new ways of living that are associated with being a new creation in Jesus Christ. Being dead to sin and living toward righteousness. Well, how do we do that? How can we love? And it's by looking at ourselves and really examining ourselves, diagnosing ourselves, and seeing our lack of self-control and how we can deal with that. And so what I hope you'll see today is that if we want to run to win the prize, if we want to discipline our bodies for the sake of godliness, if we want to endure to the end, we must practice self-control. We must practice self-control. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 9. The last paragraph there, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. What I want you to see first is a positive example of self-control. A positive example of self-control. 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So here's the, here's basically how chapters eight and nine have gone so far. Paul has said that the issue has been eating meat offered to uh, sacrifice to idols. And the basic issue is, is that some people are being caused to sin by, by the act of, of some eating food that's been offered idol. They're, they're causing their brothers to sin. And so Paul has said, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. By giving up your rights. Give up your rights for the sake of the gospel that all might be one to belief in the gospel. 
But then he turns. There's, there's really a change of, of tone there in, in verse 24. You can see that there. There's a, there's a lack of connecting words. So there, there's, no, there's no connection there. He's, he's kind of starting a new idea. And he says, I want you to think about athletes. And this would be, this would be a pretty common uh, image in the, in, in the city of Corinth. The, they had what's called the Isthmian Games there. It's basically like the Olympics except it was in Corinth, and they probably had those at least a couple of times while Paul was ministering there and while he was riding back and forth to, to, uh, to uh, the, the church in Corinth. They were having these big games where people came from all around to compete in these games. And so he, so he says, think about it this way. Think, think about an Olympic athlete. Olympic athletes train, young people training, disciplining their bodies all, all year round, 365 days a year for four years at a time to get ready to come to this one place to compete, to, to, to race against people from all over the world. And Paul says, do you not know that all of those runners, all of those who come to compete, what do they com- come to compete for? They compete to win. That's how they're living the Christian life. What does it look like to live the Christian life? It looks like competing to win, running to win. So you run. You run. You compete. You live so as to win. How is it? Think, think about the, the Olympic athletes. You know, they, they are, he says, he says about them, they are, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. That is, they have sophisticated training methodologies. They have specific diets that they are following all the time. They have coaches. They're training all the time. They are managing their, their workouts and their rest and their recovery. And they, they are getting the specified uh, hours of sleep every night. And they are eating a certain way or they are training their bodies in a certain way. They are training everything with everything that they have for this one goal. And Paul is saying for the Christian life, you, you think that way. Don't, don't think you, this is, this is, he's, he's talking to people who are craving these certain things to eat. Like, I want to I eat meat. Hey, this is good cheap meat. I want to eat. And Paul is saying, exercise self-control. An athlete exercises self-control in everything. You exercise self-control. And what do they, what do they live for? What are they, this, this 365 days a year for four years at a time, giving their entire lives? Like, from, 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 from the time that there are kids' ages, they are training every day eating a certain way so that they can win. What do they, what do they want? You know what they won at the Isthmian Games? They won pine leaves. Pine leaves shaped into a wreath that they could put on their head and eventually, eventually uh, be done with. How, how, how much is, is, are some of those Olympic gold medals worth 30 years later that they devoted decades of their lives for? Those things perish. And don't just think about what athletes work for. What are, the, what, what, did, what are the National Football League champions, what did they work for all year round to, to win last week? Uh, this is how far away from football I am. I haven't really paid attention to who won. I, I don't remember. I kind of remember who won. Who's going to remember in 20 years? Who's going to remember in 30 years? What's, what's going to happen to them? What about all the things that people discipline themselves for? What about all the things that people go to school for years for and, and to, to be able to practice? What are they, uh, people are getting up early and, and working uh, many, many hours every week to build 
What do people discipline themselves for? What about even our hobbies, the things that we discipline ourselves for? But how long are those things going to last? Those things are going to perish. Those things are going to vanish. Those things are going to fade away. What is our hope? What are we, are we disciplining ourselves for? We are disciplining ourselves for a reward that is without comparison. It is invaluable. There is no, there is no value to be placed on eternal life that we receive in Jesus Christ. And it is ours for eternity. It does not perish. It does not fade. That's why Jesus says to us, that's why Jesus teaches his disciples, store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Those things are not going to fade. The things that we do for Jesus Christ, the things that we, the things that we store with Jesus Christ, the things that we entrust to Jesus Christ, those things will not be done with. Those things will not fade away. Those things will not vanish. And so discipline yourselves for that. That's the first positive example that, that Paul gives, but, but he doesn't just point at the athlete. We can all look at the athlete and know no, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ, to, to discipline our bodies, to, to exercise self-control in all things. But he says, he doesn't just say about the athlete. He says, I do not run aimlessly. Look at verse 26. I do not run aimlessly. That is, he's not just some guy who jumps out of the sand and run around, runs around on the field a little while trying to elude the security officers, okay? That, he's not that guy. He is the athlete. He is the competitor. And he is running with, with intention to obtain, with, with a goal, with a point. That, that is what he is striving for. He is running toward the finish line. He says, I do not uh, box as one beating the air. That could be the idea of shadow boxing. Or, or it could mean like he's not missing. When he is in the ring, he is fighting the entire, until the bell, until the bell rings, he is, he is throwing every punch with the design to land a blow. Think about how, how your life is characterized. Is it, is it characterized? Is it designed? Is every part of your life designed? I want to win in the Christian life. I want to press on to the finish line. And Paul talks about himself. He says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. And the thing that he's saying is, like, I, I've been teaching you to love by giving up your rights for other people. You think of self-control as being, teaching self-control as the opposite of love. In fact, the, the ability to control ourselves is what we need in order to love other people. We exercise self-control. We beat our bodies, discipline our bodies. Don't give in to your cravings. Don't give in to, your, to whatever your stomach tells you that you want. Don't you think that the athlete, athlete sometimes that at some point in their training, their body says enough? Don't you think some point, some mornings they say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping in today. But they override what their bodies are telling them in order to receive a prize. And Paul says, I, I am doing the same thing so that after I preach the gospel to others, so that I preach self-control to others, so that after I preach love to others, after I preach giving up your rights to others, 
I discipline my bodies and I, I discipline my body and I exercise self-control so that I might di- be disqualified, not, might not be disqualified in the end. You know, Paul is saying, like, like I don't want to, I don't want to, having begun the race, find that I've been running and training in vain at the end. And you know, there, I think there are a lot of things that could be misunderstood out of, out of the passage today. And sometimes I'm comforted by how often Paul is misunderstood in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. We have to risk being misunderstood because running to win the prize is not optional. It is essential. You will either be disciplined or you will be disqualified. That's what Paul is saying. You have to run in a certain way. You have to run according to the rules. You have to run with, with this intention and with this intensity to win. And so he offers up the athlete. And he offers up himself and says, here is an example of self-control for you to follow. Now then, following after this positive example of self-control, he offers up a negative example of self-control. Look at chapter 10 and read verses 1 through 13. And look what he says. He says, For I do not, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, With most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overthrown, overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now then, Paul has just said at the end of chapter 9, he says, lest I be disqualified. And then at the beginning of chapter 10, this is one of of those places where the chapter division does not help us. It actually kind of, kind of, kind of, throw some, some doubt in there. But, but I want you to notice the connecting word in chapter 10. He says, for or because. Because I do not want you to be unaware. So this is what Paul is saying. I'm trying to make you aware of some things. I'm trying to bring some things to your attention. And here's what I want to bring to your attention. He says, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Now, now, even before we move into this, this, this teaching on self-control, I want you to notice something there in verse 1. It's kind of like a little Bible reading note. I think these are really important as far as understanding how does, how does the whole Bible fit together. 
Now then, Paul is saying, he says to the church in Corinth, who are primarily Gentiles, he says to them, he calls them brothers, he's talking to Christians, and then he says, our fathers. So he's talking about the, he's talking about the nation of Israel in the, the books of Exodus and, and, and Leviticus and Numbers. He's saying they are our fathers. And I think this is, there is this one continuous, this, this continuous body of people who are the people of God through the Old Testament and the New Testament. When we think about the, who the people of God are, we should not think of a, a separation between Old Testament people of God, Israel, and New Testament people of God, the church. Nor should we think of the church as replacing the Old Testament people of God, Israel. But there is a continuity. The way that Paul talks about it in Romans 9, not all of those who are Israel belong to Israel. That is, there was a people of God within Israel who continue. And as there were 12 tribes, Jesus Christ chose 12 apostles on whom to found the church. 12 Jewish apostles on whom to found the church. And so the way that we look at someplace like Romans 4 that says, all of those who are of faith are the people of God, are the children of Abraham. Or we look at someplace like Ephesians 2 that says that uh, Jesus Christ broke down the, host, uh, the wall of hostility between Gentiles and Jews to make one new man. Or he addresses in 1 Peter 2, he addresses a church of Gentiles as a chosen people or a holy nation. And so when we think about looking at the Old Testament, this is how you read the Old Testament. What God is doing with the nation of Israel, he is doing with our fathers. He is doing with our people. Now then, look at what he says about the nation of Israel. He says, those people were under the cloud. All of them were under the cloud. That is, when they left the, the nation of Egypt, when they were, were brought out of slavery, they were being led by God in a cloud. God was protecting them from the sun, from the, from the heat of the desert, and he was guiding them by a cloud. It was a, it was a symbol of God's presence with them, and he was guiding them. That entire nation was under the cloud. Then he says they were under that cloud and all passed through the sea. That is, that entire nation, they passed through the Red Sea. The Red Sea, well, the, 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 the water was pushed up like, like two walls of water on each side, and they passed through on dry land. And then that, that water came in and destroyed the, the army of Pharaoh who was pursuing them. And then he says, when that happened, they were out all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That is, Paul is talking about that, that Red Sea crossing as a baptism. In 1 Peter uh, 3, uh, Peter talks about the flood as a, as a baptism. What, what's, what's the idea there? Well, the idea there is here you have God's people passing through the waters of judgment. But what God does for Noah is that he brings him and his family through those waters of judgment. What happens to the nation of Israel is that God brings them through the waters of judgment. What is happening in our own baptism? What is pictured there? What, what is pictured in our baptism is that we die with Jesus Christ and we are brought through the waters of judgment. Jesus Christ already took upon himself our judgment so that when, we, uh, when they passed through uh, the Red Sea, they were baptized into Moses. They identified with Moses as their leader. In the same way, when we are baptized, we are identified with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has brought us through judgment. 
When Paul talks about it in Romans 6, he says that you died with Jesus Christ and were raised with him to new life. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you've already passed through judgment. Judgment is already over for you. Jesus Christ has already taken your judgment upon himself. And so, and, and there's something there to, to remember and even to think about when we think about, we should think about our baptism. When we were baptized, we identified with Jesus Christ. We said, Jesus Christ is our Lord and our leader. And he is bringing us through judgment. He has taken our punishment upon himself. But then Paul says they were baptized into Moses. And then he says, and all drank the same, they, they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. By spiritual there, he's not talking about that it wasn't, it was like immaterial. He's talking about that this is, this is food that was provided by God. This was not food that came about in the ordinary way. This was not people plowing their fields and harvesting their crops. This was food showing up on the ground every morning and people going out and gathering it. This was Moses striking the rock and the rock pouring out water for them to drink. In every way, every, uh, what they were doing is they were, they were eating food that was provided by God. They were drinking drink that was provided for, by, by God. And what does, what does Paul say about the rock that provided that, that food? He says that rock is Christ. That is, when we think about who was providing for the people of Israel in the desert, it was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who provides. There's a picture there in the food of this is, this is God provides you what you could not provide for yourselves. God provides for you. Jesus Christ provides for you. You could not save yourselves. There was nothing that you could do to, to bring about salvation for yourself. But who is Jesus Christ? He is the bread of life. That's what Jesus says about him. He says, I am, I am the bread of life. And when you come to Jesus Christ, when you trust in Jesus Christ, he is the one who sustains you. He is the one who provides for you. He is the one who has provided for you eternal life. He says about himself, I, uh, whoever believes in me, I will cause a, a river of living water to come out of their heart. Jesus Christ is the one who gives us spiritual food and spiritual drink. That is food and drink that we couldn't provide for ourselves. Food and drink that does not come about in the ordinary way of thinking about things. But instead only comes about through the Son of God becoming a human being and dying for us on the cross. And so if you trust in Jesus Christ, you are sustained by him. You are given the bread and the water of eternal life who is Jesus Christ himself. Trust in him. Look to him. Look to him in the desert where there is a place where you cannot provide for yourself. But Paul is, is piling things up and he says they ate the same spiritual food and they, they, they drank the same spiritual drink. And look at verse 5. There is this failure on a grand scale. He says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, but they were overthrown in the wilderness. Only out of that entire nation, whom we could estimate to be about two million people, two men and their families crossed into the promised land. Two men and their families crossed into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Now think about this. And I think there, there, are, there are really 
Uh, in, no, in no way do I want to suggest that we lose our salvation or, or when we have been born again or, or the, when we are found in, uh, in Jesus Christ, that that is something that can be lost. But look at all of the outward things that can be associated with a person and then still not win the race, still not make it into the promised land. Who saw more glorious, more splendid things than that nation of Israel? They saw the plagues by which God plundered the Egyptians and defeated them. They saw the cloud. They saw the fire on the mountain at Mount Sinai. They ate food. like They, they got up every morning. They went out. They didn't go to the refrigerator to get their eggs and bacon. They didn't go to the pantry to get their cereal. They went out and they gathered manna off the ground that God miraculously provided for them every day. They got, they got water from a rock. I don't know if you've tried to get water from a rock. That is not, that is not typical. They got water from a rock. And sometimes we think that if we just see a ama- God show me something amazing and I'll believe. Who saw more amazing deeds of God than that nation did? And think about outwardly. Outwardly, they were under the cloud. Outwardly, they all passed through the water. Outwardly, they were all fed and watered. Think about, think about many of you who are here. Outwardly, is there any reason to think that you are not fed and watered by Jesus Christ? Is there, have you not been baptized? Have you not in many ways uh, identified yourself with Jesus Christ? And yet, if you do not run with self-control, if you do not discipline your body, Paul's message here is you could fall. He's not telling you this so that you will fall. He's telling you this so that you won't fall, so that you will be cautioned. And he says there in verse 6, he says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. God wants us to learn from this. Paul wants us to learn from this. This is not something where, where he intends for us to be disqualified. He intends for us to be sustained. But he says, look at these people. He says, look at what they did. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That is, they worshiped. They, they held a festival to a golden calf in the desert. And many of them fell. They indulged in sexual immorality and 23,000 fell in a single day. Sometimes when we read that, we just kind of think 23,000, you know, man, that's a lot. I mean, think about the fact that, that on 9-11, 3,000 people were killed. Out of a nation of 275 million, 300 million people. In that day, 23,000 people in a single day because of their sexual immorality. And look, it says that they grumbled. They grumbled because what did they do? They were being fed and watered by Jesus Christ, but they complained about their food and their water. And the same destroying angel that killed the firstborn son in Egypt killed those 23,000 in one day. And Paul says, do not put Christ to the test. Think, think about how these Corinthians are thinking. They're thinking, hey, we're strong. We're wise. We're mature. We have knowledge. We know what we're doing. 
Or we might have to say to some of these weaker brothers, hey, don't try this at home. We're professionals. We're going into the, we're going into the temple. We know what we're doing. We know that there are no gods other than the one God. We know that there's nothing, there's nothing about this food, that there's anything wrong with it. We know what we're doing. You know what they were doing? What Paul is implying that they are doing? They are testing Christ. I hope that you know that you are secure in Christ. But you are not secure in Christ so long as you are full of pride. So long as you think that you can't fall. So long as you think that it's unnecessary to exercise self-control and to discipline your body. And so he says, now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. I read something really, I thought was strange. I was reading a writer that I, in many ways I respect, and he was talking about the narratives of the Old Testament. And he said, these things are only descriptive and indicative. That is, they only teach us about the plan of God's salvation in history. They're not trying to teach us anything about morality. If you want to know how to interpret the scriptures, just look at the way that Jesus and the apostles interpreted the scriptures. If you want to know how to interpret the Old Testament, look and see how Jesus and the apostles interpreted the Old Testament. They interpret it as God's unfolding plan of salvation. They interpret all the promises and patterns of the Old Testament as being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But here Paul is saying they were our examples. They were examples for us to avoid. They're here to instruct us. And look at what he says. To to us, they were our examples on whom the end of the ages has come. Now, this letter was written in the mid-50s AD, approximately. So, at least since the mid-50s AD, we've been at the end of the ages. We've been... In the last days. I think that's the way that the New Testament writers understand the flow of time. Is that there were, there were, uh, there was an age or ages before Jesus Christ. But everything since the coming of Jesus Christ and the giving of the Spirit is the end of the ages. That doesn't mean that there aren't other events that need to happen before the coming of Jesus Christ. But hey, we're at the end. Jesus Christ could come at any moment. And we are looking for him. They were looking for him. They were saying, they were saying, come Lord Jesus, because they wanted Jesus to come that day. They were looking for him. Well, look at what Paul says. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Does think about the fact that you could be disqualified? Does that, does that make you afraid? I don't want to make it, I, want, I don't want you to fear losing your salvation. I don't want you to fear being lost. I don't want you to fear not making it to the end. That's not Paul's point. But the point is, is that you would be cautious. That you would be careful. What, go back to the idea of the athlete. When the coach is, is there on the sideline and the athlete is, is in the lead or the team is in the lead, does the, does the coach say, you know, slack off. You've got it in the bag. No, he, he is, he is press, he is, he is pushing them on. He is pressing them on. He, he's saying to them, keep going. Don't choke. 
You know, like, like you, could, you could get into the race, you could in many ways outwardly identify as a Christian, but not, not genuinely be saved, not genuinely know what it is to press on. What does this, did anybody know the grace of Jesus Christ more than Paul did? Paul, Paul opens up for us the, the, the greatness of our sin, and he opens up for us the, the incredible fact that Jesus Christ died in the place of sinners and that we are justified. We are counted as righteous before God Almighty by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is, there is a righteousness that is credited to us, and he makes sure that we cannot smuggle our own works into our salvation. He makes that clear, and he says to us that the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts so that we know the love of God. We all know it. All of us who trust in Jesus Christ, we know the love of God. We know the the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are sons of God. The, The Spirit causes us to cry out in our hearts, Abba, Father, causes us to cry out to God. You are our Father to trust in in God. But the same Holy Spirit who is a gift of Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit who causes us to know that we are children of God, who pours out the love of God in our hearts, is the same Holy Spirit who produces in us self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. The Holy Spirit produces holiness. So I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't think Paul wants to be misunderstood. But you need to be aware that not everybody who calls out, who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who's baptized into the sea enters the promised land. Not every runner wins the prize. But the one who competes and controls his body and disciplines his body. And so look at verse, verse 12 again. Who are the people who really have to be concerned? It's not the cautious, but the careless. There were some in Corinth who said, I'm secure. And you know what? I'm going to go in. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in. And I'm going to go do all the things that I used to do. As if nothing happened when I trusted in Jesus Christ. As if no change is necessary. As if, as if self-control is not required. They think they stand. They are careless. It's the careless who have, who need to fear, who need to be woken up today and know that you need to exercise self-control. Because as the athlete who is in the race, as he is nearing the finish line, what must he make sure that he does not do? He must not fall. He must be careful not to fall. He must be aware. He doesn't need to start the dance until he gets into the end zone. And so as we are thinking about the Christian life, we have to, we have to discipline our bodies. Because that's what Christ has called us to. Now then, for those of us who, who do feel now overwhelmed, okay, what, what's going to happen? But I, I want you to know, God is faithful. 
And you know, Paul is not, Paul is not, Paul has great confidence that they will finish the race. Back at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9, he says, Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end. And then he says this same phrase that he says here, God is faithful. And so what might enter your mind? He says, well, what if there's some temptation that causes me to fall? And I think what the kind of falling that Paul is thinking about here, he's not thinking about stumbling into sin. The falling that Paul is talking about here is apostasy. That is, those who, are, who count themselves for a time as a part of the people of God, but fall away. And so he says, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. You may think that your circumstances are, are unique. Like Paul, you, you don't know. You don't know. I, I, got, I, I, can't, I can't do the thing. I can't control myself. I can't, you don't know, I, I'm being pressured at work and I, I got pressures at home and I got a difficult home life and, and finances are hard. You, you don't know, you don't know my situation. Paul says, you're not tempted with anything except what is common to all humanity. Sometimes we like to think of our, our counseling needs as all unique. What do you think the nation of Israel thought in the wilderness? He's like, they're like, we don't know if God's going to provide food tomorrow. He did it every other day previous to this one. Miraculously. Hasn't God provided for you every day up until this one? I know you thought that he wouldn't, but he did. No, no, there's no temptation. No temptation. But what is common to man, your, your temptation is not unique. Instead, God is faithful. God is faithful. He says, because he will, God, God will not let you be, to, be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may, may be able to endure it. Do you know why you're not going to fall? Because God is faithful. You're going to be kept all the way to the end because God is faithful. Most of the passage is about self-control, self-control, discipline your body. But you know, in the end, when you get across the finish line, do you know why you will have made it to the end? Because God is faithful. And all along the way, you will not have been tempted at any point more than you have the ability to handle. God will keep you all the way to the end. And he's going to offer up a way of escape. So most of the passage, most of this section of scripture is don't fall. And now Paul says, you won't fall. Don't fall. And now you won't fall. Because God is faithful. And God is going to, to make a way of escape for you in every temptation. God is, God is there. Just count on it. Count on God. Count on Him. That He will not press you beyond your ability. What, is the, what does Jesus teach us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, in the model prayer? Keep us from temptation. Lead us not into temptation or into the power of the evil one. 
Don't let us fall, God. Don't let us fall. Jesus Christ died on the cross to secure your eternal life. And he secured you at the beginning. And God is faithful to secure you in the middle. And he will secure you to the end. But he's going to do it through self-control and through discipline. He's not going to do it through carelessness. He's not going to do it through pride. He's going to humble you. Praise God for all of the humility that he has taught us already and for all that he's going to teach us. And he's going to teach us how to love because love requires self-control. To love my brother and sister in Christ requires me to be able to control my own selfishness. To be self-controlled. Look to Jesus Christ. Look to the rock. Count on Christ to provide for you all the time. Even as he has already provided for you in his own body and blood a way of escape from judgment. Even as he has brought you through the wilderness. Even as he has brought you through the Red Sea, the, the seas of judgment. God is faithful. He will keep you to the end. Father, uh, thank you for your word. And please grant that we would all be aware that you have just woken us up. How weak we are. How flabby and and uncontrolled and and weak and uh, pitiful our spiritual strength is. Because we have not disciplined our bodies as we ought to. And yet, will, will you please teach us? Will you please cause within our hearts a burning desire to press on to the end? To beat our bodies. To control our bodies. To exercise self-control in every way. To control every craving. So that we might show love for you. So we might show love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to trust in Christ. To know that he is our rock. The rock who sustains us all the way to the end. Help us not to fall. Keep us from temptation. Keep us from the power of the evil one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the wilderness, Paul is talking about with the nation of Israel that they had spiritual food and spiritual drink. The food and the drink that they were drinking in the wilderness was was provided by Jesus Christ. It was a way of saying, I am the one who provides for you. I am the one who, who takes care of your sins, who, who is bringing you through a dark and deserted land. On the night that our Savior was betrayed, he gave us food and he gave us drink. And he said, here is my, here is my, my promise to you. Here's something I want you to take, not just, not just hear it, but I want, you to, I want you to touch it and taste it and see that the Lord is good, that I am the one who provides for you. Jesus Christ provided for us by giving his body and by giving his blood for our sins. If we would only trust him, not test him. Come forward today. If you're a baptized believer, faithfully following Jesus Christ in the in the context of a local church, I want you to come forward and take, take the bread, take the cup, and let's celebrate together that Jesus Christ is the one who is going to sustain us all the way to the end. It is because of his death on the cross that we will make it to the end. 
and not just to the end, but that we will win the prize. Jesus told us, he said, he said, take this meal until I come. You proclaim the Lord's death until I come. Jesus Christ is going to be sustaining us until he comes. So come forward and trust the promise of Jesus Christ. faith we see the hand of God in the light of creation's grand design in the lives of those who prove his faithfulness who walk by faith and not by sight by faith our fathers roam the earth with the power of his promise in their hearts of a holy city built by God's own hand a place where peace and justice reign we will stand as children of the promise we will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. By faith the prophet saw a day. With the long-for Messiah would appear With the power to break the chains of sin and death And rise triumphant from the grave By faith the church was called to go In the power of the Spirit to the lost to deliver captives and to preach good news in every corner of the earth. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward, till the race is finished and the work is done we'll walk by faith and not by sight by faith this mountain shall be moved and the power of the gospel shall prevail for we know in christ all things are possible for all who call upon his name 
We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. When he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the church said, Come, Lord Jesus.